Let me add my welcome to Zach's. My name is Kevin. Uh, I'm the pastor here. Uh, and my gratitude as well. Um, from me, from Rebecca, my wife, uh, Zach's right. We, we really do have the best job on the planet. Um, I have a number of friends in pastoral ministry who have a great many struggles uh, in the churches that they serve. Uh, and of course, while this calling is not without its struggles, uh, we have the opportunity to serve a fantastic community of people. Um, the warmth and love that you show us uh, is, is beyond measure. And so we're very grateful uh, to get the opportunity to be here. Thank you for uh, loving us so well. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 10. If you want to turn there. We have been uh, studying Matthew's Gospel for some time now. We're beginning to look at another block of Jesus' teaching. Uh, and, in, and this time, uh, Jesus is talking about mission. Last week, just by way of reminder, we saw that Jesus uh, looked at the crowd, he looked at the, the needs around them, and he had compassion. He felt compassion for them. Uh, and then he told his disciples that what he saw when he looked at the crowd was a field ripe for harvest, the Lord's harvest. Uh, and he said, uh, pray, ask the Lord to send workers into that harvest. And what we're going to see today is that he answers their prayers by sending them into the harvest. So they are the, they are the answer to their prayers. And I want to connect those two things very quickly. Uh, one of my favorite teachers, uh, a favorite teacher of mine, a man named Paul Miller, who writes a lot on prayer and on the life of Jesus, uh, talks about how prayer uh, leads into mission. Um, one of his analogies for talking about prayer in the Christian life and prayer in the church is that, that prayer is part of the powertrain of the Christian life and of the church. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know a whole lot about cars. I had to look up precisely what it is the powertrain does. Um, so for those of you who already know what that is, just you can tune out uh, and... For all the rest of us ignorant saps, I'm going to tell you. Right? If you don't have a powertrain, then all of the combustion that happens in the engine doesn't make the wheels spin. Right? It's the powertrain that takes the, the power from the engine and converts it into forward movement in the wheels. Right? And there are several pieces in that powertrain. Uh, but prayer must be connected to mission. And Paul puts it this way. He says um, that the powertrain doesn't work if the car is parked in the garage. Uh, and so I want to just draw that connection between last week and this week as Jesus begins to send his disciples out on mission, on his mission, that begins with prayer. Uh, they ask that the Lord would send workers, uh, and he is sending them. Uh, and so let's give our attention to God's word, Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 23. And Jesus, he, called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, now give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Thus far the reading of God's word. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, there is a lot here, and so we just pray that you would help us to understand it, that you would help us to apply it. Holy Spirit, we pray that this word would come with power to our hearts, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what Jesus gives here, uh, you would call an ordination charge. And you would say, Kevin, I would not call it that because I have never used those two words in my entire life. What in the world is an ordination charge? Uh, So when you ordain, when we ordain someone to a particular ministry, it means we set them apart for that ministry. And back in 2022, we ordained new elders and deacons here in our church. And when we do that during that worship service, we give them a charge. And actually, the congregation is charged as well. What is a charge? When so many words, it says this. Here's what you're to do, and here's what you can expect. It's that simple. That's, what, that's a charge, right? Um, you know, the, most, the, the first thing I could think of outside of the church context would, would be similar to like a coach's pregame speech. So maybe I should have started there. Um, but that's what Jesus is doing. As he prepares to send these men out into the harvest field, he tells them, here's what you're going to do, and here's what you can expect. He charges them. He instructs them. 
And so we're going we're gonna to look at this by answering five questions. Yes, there are five points on that screen. My aim is to get through in the same amount of time, so these will be shorter than my normal points, hopefully. But we got five questions. Now, the situation that they're in uh, is unique. Uh, it's unique in certain ways. But there are still principles that we can apply to ourselves. So we're going to do that as we kind of look through these five questions. First, whom does Jesus send? Second, what do they do? Third, how do they do it? Fourth, what can they expect? And then finally, how will they respond? How are they to respond to all of that? So first, let's talk about Whom does Jesus send? And I I did have to look up my who versus whom rules. This is the proper use of the word whom. Uh, Whom does Jesus send? He sends his 12 disciples. Uh, We know from looking at Jesus' ministry that there is a a larger group of people uh, who are following Jesus, but Jesus selects 12, uh, and Matthew here tells us their names, uh, and he tells us that they are disciples. And we've talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning again that a disciple is kind of a, that word disciple is something like a combination between a student and a follower, right? So they're, they're a student, but not in like just the classroom sense. They're a student of Jesus's life. Uh, they are learning how to live from Jesus. And how are disciples made? Well, they're not made Simply in the classroom, they're not made by listening to sermons. Uh, They're made by life-on-life investment. These men have been walking with Jesus. They've been watching Jesus. They've been listening to Jesus, asking him questions, eating with him, sharing time around the campfire late at night. That's how disciples are made. Uh, The closest equivalent we might have would be that of a mentor. Right, that's, this is what discipleship looks like. This is how Jesus trains his men. Uh, they've been walking with him this whole time, and now he is about to send them out. And that's what he does. And that's actually, uh, Matthew uses another word. He calls them apostles. Uh, and the, the word apostle means one who is sent. There you go. Uh, one who is sent out. What does that mean? It means that these men will be his messengers. They are his emissaries. They are his ambassadors. In fact, we even see that he is the one who gives them his authority. He gives them authority to accomplish his mission. It's not their mission. It's his mission. And they're simply just sent with his authority to accomplish it. And so think of a king. Uh, who is uh, sending out his ambassadors to make peace, right? He's, uh, he's sending his ambassadors into hostile territory uh, to say, the king is coming. You better be ready. That's what, that's what they're doing. Now, for the time being, and this is where their situation is specific to them, for the time being, Jesus tells them to just remain in Galilee. He says, don't go to the Gentiles. So that would be the roads east and north. And he says, don't go to the Samaritans. That would be Rhodes South. Their mission at this point is simply to focus on what Jesus calls the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So their their mission is a small one in scope. They are to remain in this particular region. Now, we know that later on, at the end of this gospel, they will be sent to the nations. But for right now, they are to begin with 
the Jews. And that's where Jesus himself spent his entire ministry. Uh, and we see, too, as we go into the, if you go into the book of Acts, that, that that was Paul's practice as well. As he made his way through the cities around the Mediterranean Sea, he would begin in the synagogues. He would begin with uh, Jews and interested Gentiles. Uh, and then he would move out uh, into the rest of the people. So he, w- he would go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. So that's who Jesus sends. Uh, what are they to do? And it's interesting, we are never told how this mission goes. All we have is Jesus' instruction. We have no report on uh, how well they did or what happened. Uh, but Jesus, Matthew focuses just on Jesus' telling them what to do. And one of the first things you notice is that their ministry looks exactly like his ministry. The words that Jesus uses to describe what they are to do are the same things that he's already been doing. If you go back to the end of chapter 9, you see there where uh, Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry as teaching and proclaiming and healing, and he uses certain words. These apostles, these 12, are going to do the exact same thing. Uh, Two big words that Jesus uses. First, he says, uh, if you look in verse 7, he says, proclaim, to preach, to announce. As you go, proclaim, announce. And, And what is it that they are to announce? That the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, which was Jesus' message too. See that in 935? We see that in 417. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus came, he proclaimed that the kingdom of God had drawn near. Now, what does that mean? It means that God's rule and blessing, we've been talking about this for the entire fall semester in our uh, Bible Foundations class, that God's rule and blessing have come near in Jesus. In other words, the king has come. The long-awaited king has finally arrived. That's what they are to tell people. And as they make that announcement that the kingdom has come, they are also to demonstrate that announcement by doing miracles. Look at verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. All things that Jesus has been doing. If you go back and look at chapters 8 and 9, all of those miracles are mentioned in those two chapters. So they are to do the same things that Jesus has already been doing, which is pretty astonishing. Raising the dead. I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to do that. That is not, that is not a box that I have checked on my pastoral responsibilities. So what is it that's going on here? What's, what's happening? Why, why does this announcement of the kingdom, why is it accompanied with these miracles? Well, all of these things, sickness, leprosy, death, demon possession, those are all results of the fall. They're all results of sin and evil at work in the world. Now, that that doesn't mean when I say that, I don't mean that when you have an accident uh, or when you get the flu, that that's a particular result of your sin. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that those things are not native to this world. They were not created by God to be a part of our everyday experience. 
Those things are a result of our first parents choosing to rebel against God's rule and blessing. They rejected his rule, and he removed his blessing. And so we have all of these things present in the world now. We choose to be our own kings and queens, and this is the result. And so it's, it's pretty awesome that as these messengers go through the towns of Israel announcing that the kingdom has come, they also will demonstrate his arrival, right? They, they're announcing that the rightful king has come, and then they demonstrate his arrival by reversing the effects of our rebellion. That's what's happening in their mission. Uh, it's like paratroopers being dropped off behind enemy lines, right? And they, they go around sabotaging the works of the enemy uh, and uh, liberating captives and announcing the good news that the liberator is coming. Right? That's, what, that's what these men are doing. Which raises the question, should we expect the same? If we're faithfully following Jesus, should, should I expect to be able to do miracles like this? And here, here's how we answer that. In the Bible, uh, miracles don't exist simply for miracles' sake. They never just stand alone. Here's what I mean. If you were to stretch out the story of the Bible uh, uh, on a timeline, and you were actually look at the thousands of years that it covers, you will notice that the miracles in the Bible don't happen all across that timeline. They're concentrated. They're clumped up in two particular areas with a few exceptions. They're, they're, they are gathered around two particular people. One is Moses, and the other is Jesus. What do those two men have in common? They are both liberating God's people from bondage. They are both coming from the outside to bring a message of freedom and liberation to enslaved people. And so to validate their ministry, they do miracles. It's also why the prophets, uh, some of the prophets anyway, also do miracles, right? It validates their ministry. It's why the apostles following Jesus in the book of Acts are able to do some miracles. Because the miracles validate the message. But they're not actually an ordinary part of the, the Bible's timeline, right? They, they occur in certain instances at certain times. So does that mean that such miracles happen today? I think the best answer we can give is maybe. Uh, you hear credible reports uh, from frontier missions, places where the gospel has uh, never been before. And as the good news comes in, there are miracles uh, that go along with it that attest to its reality. Who knows, uh, in the post-Christian West where we live, uh, as, we, as, our, as our society moves more into what the first century pagan world looked like, maybe we'll see similar works of power again. But what's clear, uh, at least from looking at the Bible, is that God more often, if we take all of history together, that more often that more often God uses mundane, ordinary-looking faithfulness to advance his purposes. So guess what? If you never see or do a miracle, that doesn't mean that you are not in God's will 
or that uh, you've somehow missed the boat. Okay, um, miracles are special and they attest the messenger. They validate God's messenger. So that's what they're to do. How are they to do it? Uh, first, Jesus says freely. In verse 8, he says, you have received freely. Freely you have received. Freely give. They're not traveling religious salesmen. They're not peddlers. Uh, they are not to um, extort people. They are to give in the same way that they have received. Now, does that mean that people who labor in the gospel, pastors, missionaries, shouldn't be paid? Certainly hope not. Um, and if we go on later in the New Testament, we see, uh, particularly in 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy 5, that those who labor in the gospel uh, do receive some benefit from those they work among. Those who labor in the gospel should be supported by those that they work with. And that's actually what Jesus says here. He's not saying that these men should go hungry um, or live out under the sky. He's saying that as they go into these towns, they will live on the hospitality and generosity of others. So some of this is, again, unique to their situation, but there's still some things that we can apply moving forward, right? Because these men are relying on the generosity of others, they can travel lightly and urgently. They don't have to take time to store up provisions or take extra money along, right? God will take care of them through the generosity of others. And they can look for those who are worthy. Now, when we hear that word worthy, we think of character. All right, so we, we hear Jesus saying, all right, when you go to town, look for, look for nice people, look for people of good character. That's not that's not really what Jesus means when he says worthy, though these people could have good character, I suppose. When Jesus says worthy, he, mean, he means look for those people, and the word here for find is the word for diligently searching. He says, look for those people who will listen to you and receive you. Those are the people that you're searching for. So they're not just walking the streets hollering at people. They're making a diligent search for those who are open to receiving their message. That's what they are to do in this mission. And we see that uh, not everyone will receive them gladly in verse 14. Right, so when they find such a person, they're to go to that home, they're to give their peace to it. And if those people are worthy, if they receive the message, then that's where the disciples are to stay. They're not to travel around to all the different homes, seeing you know, how many different dinners they can get. Right? They set up shop in one place. But if they come into a home and the people there don't receive them, or they go to a town and the people there don't receive them, Jesus says, move on. Don't stay. In fact, he says something pretty uh, stark. He says, shake the dust off your feet, a sign of rejection and judgment. Now, maybe that surprises you. Uh, after all, isn't Jesus compassionate? Is Jesus telling them just to, just to give up on people? No, let's think about what they're doing, right? This is not well, this is not what we would call hit and run evangelism, right? They're not just walk, they're they're not just handing out a brochure and saying, "Call me if you need me," right? They are they are they are proclaiming and announcing the kingdom and at the same time doing miracles, right? And some pretty amazing miracles. 
And so their authority as Jesus' messengers is pretty clear. And so when he says, when these people don't receive you, he's talking about people who deliberately and stubbornly reject the offer of the gospel. Right? As messengers of the king, if, right? when, when, rival, when a rival king's messengers uh, come to you, what usually happens to those messengers? Off with their heads. Right? Jesus is saying, hey, listen, not everybody's going to be happy to see you. Not everybody's going to receive the message that you give. And you don't have to beat a dead horse. You don't have to subject yourself to further punishment. In fact, later on, we see that he says, if you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. Keep moving. Let me handle the results. You keep on moving. Now, Jesus isn't saying, look, if somebody turns you down one time, just cancel them, give up on them, right? Toxic, walk away. That's not what Jesus is saying. Right? These men are to be persistent in their ministry. They are to keep doing what Jesus has called them to do. But at the same time, and we looked at this when we talked about um, casting pearls before swine a few chapters ago, uh, that there comes a time when that rejection, you, just, you, have, to, you have to walk away. Uh, when that person, if that person isn't going to hear you, you don't have to keep uh, beating a dead horse. And so um, that's, how they're to, that's how they're to do it. Now, what can they expect? And starting in verse 16, uh, Jesus, uh, it seems that Jesus talks more about a future mission. He's not talking now to the limited mission in Galilee because he mentions kings and rulers and Gentiles. And they would not have met any of those people in Galilee. So now Jesus seems to be casting his vision forward to some uh, point in the future. In fact, the description that he uses here sounds an awful lot like the book of Acts and even on into today. So Jesus uh, says, what, what is it that the king's messengers can expect? In a word, danger. You might think, all right, well, I'm in the service of the king. Uh, so everybody's going to roll out the red carpet. Everybody's going to open the doors. It's going to be fantastic. And so Jesus wants to set the expectation up front. He says, no, no, no. I'm sending you out like sheep who are encircled by wolves. You are in immense danger. You are surrounded by predators. You are surrounded by those who want to harm you. He says you'll face persecution from authorities, verses 17 and 20. Right? You'll be delivered over to courts, dragged before governors and kings. But I want you to notice something. In verse 18, Jesus says, this is exactly how the kingdom will spread. Because you are there to be my witnesses. So far from hindering the mission, it actually will propel the mission forward. You will be my witnesses. I'm giving you an opportunity. Now in the midst of that opportunity, Jesus says, when that happens, I don't want you to worry about how you're to speak. Right? And I want you to think about who he's talking to. These are... Uh, smart men, but they don't belong. They're, they're, none of them are the educated elites. So they're, they're, they are Galilean peasants. They are common people. And Jesus has just told them, hey, you're going to be dragged before rulers and kings. That's a pretty big power imbalance. And so Jesus says, listen, don't worry. When you're, when you're before these people who are in great authority, he's saying, don't worry about how you're to speak. The spirit of your father 
will give you words. It's the only time the Holy Spirit is ever talked about in that way in the New Testament. The Spirit of your Father. What a beautiful comfort that would have been to these men. What a beautiful comfort that is to us. Jesus isn't, isn't saying we don't need to study. He's not saying that we shouldn't be aware of what the Word says or anything like that. He's saying that when we're put in a situation that we're, we're nervous and the odds are stacked against us, he's saying, you don't have to worry. The Spirit will use you, and it is the Spirit of your Father who loves you. He is watching out for you. So we'll be persecuted from the authorities, but even in verse 21, there's even family persecution. Right, that, 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 Jesus, that loyalty to Jesus even divides families. And some of you may have experienced that. Jesus, saying, Jesus says that'll, that'll come to a fever pitch. Uh, that it's not just exclusion, but even being handed over to death. This is, this is pretty serious stuff. And we know that this happens uh, all around the world, uh, even today. Uh, I've mentioned before, I get a, a prayer email from the Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, and so I, I'm re- I read regularly stories uh, of people. Uh, think of one older lady um, who I believe was in Nepal. Uh, her and her husband had come to faith in Jesus. Uh, and then her husband passed away, and her daughter and son-in-law came to live in their home. Uh, and her son-in-law uh, threatened, is threatening her and saying, you need to renounce Jesus or we're going to kick you out of the house. These are the sorts of things that uh, our brothers and sisters uh, face uh, because of Jesus' name. Uh, and by God's grace, that sister has not, uh, has not walked away from Jesus, though it may cost her her home and maybe even her life. Um, so that's what we can expect. But in all of those cases... God, we can also expect that God will bring us through. So let's look at then at the last question. I know we've jumped through these fairly quickly. How then should they respond? If that's what they're to do and that's how they're to do it and that's what they can expect, they can expect danger and persecution, obviously not widespread. Some will receive them, some won't. How then uh, should they and at the same time we respond? Look at verse 16. Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents. Don't be stupid. Don't be naive. Right? You may be sheep. You don't have to act like sheep. You don't have to waltz right into danger. Right? You can be discerning. You can kind of figure out, okay, what's going on? Is this a good or bad or whatever? Right? But be wise, be discerning, don't be naive. And at the same time, he says, be innocent as doves. Uh, the word there means unmixed, sincere, pure. You're familiar with the saying, if you can't beat them, join them? Jesus is saying, don't do that. He says, you'll, you'll be pressured, right? When, when the pressure is put on us, it's very easy for us to compromise. And you know what? Right, what do we say? The, the tallest blade of grass is the one that gets cut first. So I just keep my head down. I just kind, of, just kind of blend in so that I don't get my head chopped off. Jesus is saying, no, you need to be both. 
You need to be wise, and you need to have integrity at the same time. Right? Don't seek to blend in or to compromise. Wise and innocent at the same time. And then in verse 22, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Persevere. Endure. In fact, he goes on in verse 23. Uh, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Keep going. You don't have to hang out in a dangerous, dangerous situation, but I don't want you to give up either. Keep going. You don't have to make yourself a martyr. Uh, fleeing to safety and continuing the mission are allowed. All right, so we've answered those five questions, and I've thrown a lot at you this morning. A lot to, to think through there. How do, we, how do we wrap all of that up? So there's maybe two responses. One, we've kind of covered a lot of responses for the Christian, but let's sum them all up under this. What is it that enables us to endure? What is it that enables us to face ill treatment and persecution? Well, Jay already shared it with us in the call to repentance and assurance of forgiveness. It's our identity in Jesus. I don't have to please men. I don't have to be accepted by men if I'm accepted by him. If you're in Christ and you're accepted by him, then you are enabled to persevere. You are enabled to run the race. And he has promised that he will keep you faithful all the way to the end. So run hard. To the non-Christian. If you're here this morning uh, and you're evaluating the claims of Christianity, you're trying to figure out, man, what is it that Christians believe? Is this something for me? At least from this passage, what we have here is a, a warning. Jesus says to the disciples that if someone, if they meet a home or a town that rejects them and rejects the message of the gospel and rejects Jesus, then their fate will be worse than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, if you're not familiar with the story of the Bible, they were pretty awful places, and they did some awful things. And so the Jews in Jesus' day would have understood, sure, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to face judgment on Judgment Day. Jesus is saying that, that these people, these, in these no-name towns that you and I don't even know, that if they reject the message of the gospel, their fate will be worse than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know how you have a worse judgment, but it will be worse. Why? Because they were confronted with the king himself. Sodom and Gomorrah, not so much. They had more information. They, they were confronted with the king himself, and they said, nah, no thanks. And so I would make that same warning. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus while he offers peace. Bow the knee. Trust in him. He can be your father. You can trust him completely. Sorry, Jesus won't be your father. God will be your father. But you can trust him completely. And he will forgive all of your sins. But if you don't accept the offer... If you don't bow the knee now, then the fate that awaits 
is a very terrible one indeed. And I would not have you be separated from God for all of eternity. And so the invitation to both believer and unbeliever is come to Jesus and throw yourself on him and find him to be your savior and king. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for words of warning and words of assurance. Lord, thank you for equipping those that you send. We see in the disciples that they were not perfect men. They certainly did not have their act together. And yet you are content to use and are glad to use imperfect people who have lots of issues and hang-ups. Lord, would you be content, uh, would you be glad to use us as we seek to be your ambassadors, messengers of your grace and glory to a world that will not always be accepting of it? Would you enable us to endure? Would you enable us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves? So that we would shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, as Paul says. And Lord, for those who do not yet know you, I pray that they would see you as a good and gracious king, compassionate, ready to forgive all who come to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.